Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Happy Easter. Uh, welcome if you don't normally find yourself at church. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, when I was 18... When I was 18, I met a 99-year-old woman in a nursing home, and she started our conversation like this. She said, just yesterday, I was remember- I've been remembering events that I lived through, and just yesterday, I remembered the moon landing. I remembered where I was when it happened. And I was 18 at the time, so I was remembering how I'd just learned how to shave. And that's where I was at. Uh, obviously, I didn't learn very well. I shaved this morning. It grew back. Uh, <laughs> But I was, I was barely 18, but then she just rattled off all these world-defining, world-shaping events that she'd lived through, uh, women getting the right to vote, the invention of the TV and the car and the fridge, World War II, the fall of the Berlin Wall, these life-changing, world-shaping events. Now, I'm a little bit older than 18, and I've lived through events too. The invention of the internet, GPS, mobile phones, September 11 when the planes flew into the World Trade Center. We all remember where we were when that happened. That crazy time there was a global shutdown in a pandemic and we're all fighting for toilet paper. Remember that? (laughs) Too soon? Yeah. These these things are world-shaping, life-changing events. And when they happen, life is never the same again. And some of them are really good, fridges, mobile phones, the right to vote. Some of them are really tragic, war, death. Today, we are looking at that kind of an event, a life-changing, world-shaping event where things can never be the same again, an event that can change your life. But it can only change your life if it's true And if you can see the difference it makes, a little bit like cars and and utes, I'm sure there are still people in remote tribes in the world who have never seen a car, never seen a ute in their life. All their travels on foot, all their labor is done with animals. And if you described a car to them, they don't have a category for it. They wouldn't believe it. And even if you showed them a car, even if you proved to them that cars are real, it wouldn't change their life. It wouldn't change their life until they had a ride in a car and saw the difference and felt the difference. That had changed their life. Today, we are looking at a life-changing event, a world-shaping event, to see if it's true and to see the difference it can make for us. And the event is in part of the Bible written by a man named Matthew. He lived at the time of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest mates. And he tells us about the time when he first met Jesus. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And this guy, Matthew, follows Jesus from this point for the next three years. He lives with him. He eats with him. He travels with him. For three years, he never leaves Jesus' side. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus' popularity rise. 
He saw Jesus on Good Friday on the cross. He saw him die. And he knew that Jesus was wrapped in linen, laid in a tomb, and a stone was put over the entrance, and guards were there to protect it. And he tells us what happens next. And I'm going to, if you've got a Bible there, follow along with me. If not, I'll read it out for you. Matthew 28 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They've come to pay their respects and mourn their leader and their friend who's been cruelly killed. But they get the surprise of their lives. Verse 2, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. It's massively dramatic picture here this angel comes immensely powerful causes an earthquake to happen not tectonic plates shifting the angel just causes an earthquake and he rolls this huge stone away like it's a tiny pebble and he looks like lightning and these brawny seasoned roman guards are just basically scared to death of him and then he speaks verse 5 the angel said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you are looking for jesus who was crucified He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. The angel comes and says, Jesus, who you saw die, has been raised from the dead. We'll come back to the significance of that. But what do you notice about this bit of the Bible? Here's what I notice. What it says sounds impossible. But the way it's said, the way it's described, is just so factual and genuine. There's specific times. This happened at dawn on the first day of the week. There's specific people. There's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And even to call her the other Mary is like, you know, the other Mary, the other Mary. You know, you've met her. You know the other Mary. There's a specific message. You're looking for the Jesus who was crucified. Not another Jesus, that Jesus, the Jesus who was crucified. There's a specific promise. Jesus told you this is exactly what would happen, and now it has happened. There's specific proof offered. See where he lay. Check it out for yourself. And then they see Jesus with their own eyes. They don't just take the angel's word that Jesus is risen from the dead. They see it for themselves. Look in verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. They hear Jesus talk with his voice, his accent. They grab his feet. He's physical tangible, genuine. And then the leaders do what people with power often do. Look in verse 11, what they do. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. How much money would you have to be paid to deny someone rising from the dead? That's a very large sum of money, I think. 
But they say, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This, what they do, they pay the witnesses to remember the facts different. And they run this smear campaign to discredit the other eyewitnesses, the disciples, the women. And they ensure their story spreads far and wide so that their version of events is more well-known than the real version of events. And I've seen this strategy. We've all seen this strategy. This strategy has been repeated by corrupt leaders and dictators the world over. This event has all the features of genuine historical fact. And it's saying that on the 15th of July, in the year 30, at 3 p.m., Jesus died. And on the 17th of July, in the year 30, at dawn, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. As the angel says, verse 5, You are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And a resurrection is different to a resuscitation or a reincarnation. Because in a resuscitation, you're revived from unconsciousness and your heart and your breath restart. And in a reincarnation, your soul leaves your body and begins a new life in a different body. But in a reincarnation, sorry, I said reincarnation, but in a resurrection, in a resurrection, a person dies, their heart and their brain stops, and then the same person in the same body, rises from the dead and never dies again. They are alive in their physical body forever. Jesus' resurrection is a life-changing, world-shaping event. But it will only change your life, only change our life, if we see the difference it makes, and we'll consider that in a second, and it will only change our life if it's true. But it's often treated as not true. It's often treated as fake news. And I get it because it does seem impossible. I mean, have you ever seen a resurrection? I've never seen a resurrection. There's all these alternative explanations that are offered because it seems so impossible. Like, for instance, perhaps Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he fainted, he came to in the tomb, which sounds really reasonable until you see how many eyewitnesses saw Jesus die. And how you see the Roman soldier who made sure he was dead by stabbing his heart with a spear. It's not possible to live through that. Or maybe Jesus didn't really rise. Perhaps the disciples came and stole the body. And that story is still widely circulated even today, to this day. Or perhaps the people at this time, they were less sophisticated than us, less scientific than us. And resurrection was just kind of a normal expectation for them. But it doesn't really make much sense, though, because there's never been any time in history, never any group in history that expected people to be resurrected from the dead. Because dead people don't rise. Dead bodies rot. It's tragic. But it's a fact of life that all people in all times, in all places know. Jesus' resurrection is as impossible and unbelievable for them as it is for us. But I think the most common alternative, the most common issue people in our society have 
is that the evidence for this is in the Bible. And can we trust the Bible? It's from the distant past, and we live in a culture that's a bit suspicious of the distant past. And with good reason. I've played Chinese whispers before. I'm sure you've played Chinese whispers before. Messages change, especially a message that's 2,000 years old. But what makes the Bible different is that it's not in the distant past. It's distant for us, but it's not distant for Matthew. Because he met Jesus. He lived with Jesus. And a short time after Jesus rose, he wrote this book that we just read. This is not a message passed down over 2,000 years of Chinese whispers. This is a message written down almost immediately. And 2,000 years later, we are reading a first century, first-hand eyewitness account from someone who was there. Uh, There's another issue though. What if Matthew wrote it down, but over the centuries as people copied it, there's still 2,000 years from when he wrote it down. What if over the centuries as people copied it, they copied it wrong? I mean, even by accident, not even on purpose. Well, again, the people who copied it are in the distant past for us, but it's not distant for the people who copied it. Let me show you this. This is papyrus 37. The one on the left is papyrus 37. It's part of Matthew's gospel and it's old. It is from the third century. They've carbon dated this to the third century. The one on the right is papyrus 105. It's part of Matthew 28 that we just read. It's the bit about the angel coming, causing an earthquake, sitting on the stone. That's what that says. You, can you read it? I can't read that in there. But that's what it says. That, this is how old this is. And there are thousands of copies like this. There are more copies of the New Testament than any other piece of ancient literature. Uh, by comparison, a man named Josephus wrote a book about the same time as Matthew called The Antiquities. We have 28 copies of that book, which is pretty good for something that old. 28 copies. The earliest copy we have is from the 9th century. By comparison, for the New Testament, we have 5,800 copies in Greek, 10,000 copies in Latin, 9,300 copies in other languages. The first copy we have is, the earliest copy we have is dated to the first century, about three decades after the original. I must confess, though, there are times when the copiers did change the words. There are times when that happens. Uh, You can see one if you look in your Bible. You can see down in verse 53 of chapter 27. It says, They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You can see right down in a footnote, or tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they. There's an alternative. There's a copy. And all the changes, every time there's something different, is written there in a footnote for you. Because no one's trying to hide anything. Because there's nothing to hide. And actually, more than that, there's evidence for this outside the Bible, which is what you'd expect. If Jesus was real, if his resurrection was real, if his death was real, you'd expect lots of people to be talking about it. And they do. Here's a small sample of some of the things people say. Josephus in his book Antiquities, like I was telling you about, Josephus says this, So Albinus assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ. Talking about this historical person, Jesus was called Christ. Or the Babylonian Talmud from the year 70 to 200 AD, sometime in that period, says the eve of the Passover, Yeshu was hanged. Yeshu is Aramaic for Jesus. And then Phlegon 
140 AD, I think that's how you say his name. He's not here to correct me. Phlegon, we'll go with that. He says, Jesus, while alive, was of no assistance to himself, but that he arose after death and exhibited the marks of his punishment and showed how his hands had been pierced by death, pierced by nails. And then this one comes from Tacitus, 116 AD, a Roman historian. He's talking about the, the great fire that spread through Rome and destroyed a lot of Rome and what the emperor Nero did. In response, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome the mischievous superstition that he's risen from the grave. These people are not Christians. These people are hostile witnesses. Some of them hate Jesus. And they go on to talk about how much they hate Jesus. But even they show that this is real, true history. And I can keep going. There is more evidence for this. But I think you get the point. I think you get the point. Jesus truly was resurrected from the dead. The angel said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As impossible as it sounds, Jesus died. His heart and his brain stopped. He was a corpse rotting in the tomb for 40 hours. And then the same Jesus with the same body was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. It sounds impossible, but it's the only conclusion you can draw from the evidence, both in and outside of the Bible. And to say that it's not true because it's in the Bible, it will be a little bit like this. It will be a little bit like if you wrote an autobiography, the story of your life, all the things you've seen, all the things you've done, and you give it to me and I get it published for you. I find a publisher, we put it on Amazon, we do a print run, 50,000 copies, it's sure to be a bestseller, we do a print run, but I tell the publisher, can you just mark it down as fiction? Can we put this in the fiction section of the library, and on Amazon we'll go with the category, new release fiction? Because it's a great read, it'll take your mind off the troubles of the world, but obviously it's not true. How would you feel if I did that? You'd feel offended. You'd feel insulted. Because it's true. It's your life. It's not fake. It's real. It's the same problem if we do that with the Bible and we put it in the fiction category when everything about it shouts at us true, real, genuine. And I'm laboring this point. I'm laboring this point to build our confidence that Jesus truly was raised from the dead that we can trust these facts. It really happened. And isn't it so kind of God to give us the facts? Because Jesus could have been resurrected and kept it a secret, just popped up to heaven and, and people come to the tomb and it's empty, no idea how, biggest mystery of all time. He could have done that. But Jesus is too kind for that. Jesus is kind enough to tell the disciples beforehand this is what to expect and to to send an angel so that they can see an angel who 
comes with the message about Jesus and then they see Jesus and and people see Jesus alive again. Hundreds of people in the end see Jesus and then Jesus goes up to heaven. The resurrection is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. We can build our life on this. Jesus truly was resurrected from the dead. But so what? What difference does it make to our lives? Well, it makes a massive difference if we think about death. Jesus' resurrection makes a world of difference when we face the reality of our own death. As we live in the shadow of death, one in one people die. And it's this undefeatable power, this black hole that sucks in everyone who's ever lived. Men and women, young and old, Sudanese, German, New Zealand, Korean, Australian, it doesn't matter where you're from. And it is so tragic. It is so painful to see someone you love gone. To wake up every day knowing you are one step closer to your own death is this black hole that sucks in everyone. And from this black hole, no one escapes. No one. Except that on the 17th of July, in the year 30, Out of that black hole, Jesus disappeared. He stood up in the grave. He was resurrected, not resuscitated, not reincarnated, resurrected. When Jesus hit death, he didn't hit death and bounce back. That would be a resuscitation. He didn't hit death and pass through to this higher plane. That would be reincarnation. When he hit death, he punched through the other side and came out, never to die again. He is not here. He has risen. And the difference it makes is that Jesus will do the same for everyone who trusts in him. He will bring us through death too. And Jesus will deal with our sins because he's a living mediator. Imagine this Easter, you weren't here in this kind of hipster, chic, industrial warehouse thing that we've got going on here. Imagine instead, all of us were in jail. We're in jail for crimes we did commit. We're in jail for our sin. And now sin is one of those really misunderstood ideas in the Bible. Uh, Sin is not mainly the bad stuff that we do. Or the good stuff that we fail to do. It's not mainly when you do bad things for a good reason or good things for a bad reason. It's not that. Sin is mainly about rejecting God, ignoring God. Treating God as if he's worthless and unimportant to our lives. And I think if we're honest, that is a crime we've all committed. I've committed that crime. Pushing God to the sidelines. Turning to God if we need help, but pushing him to the sideline the rest of the time. And if you're in prison for that crime... What would you need most of all? You would need a mediator. You would need someone to act on your behalf, someone to represent you, uh, like a lawyer who can plead your case or a judge who could release you. Jesus is like that. Jesus is our mediator. He acts for us. He defends us. But the way he does it is extraordinary. The way he does it is by taking our place. 
not just being like a lawyer who gives advice and represents you, more like if the lawyer or the judge swapped with you, took your place, and they, you were released, they came to jail. Although with Jesus, it's even more than that. It's more like the, the victim chooses willingly to trade places with the very one who hurt them, the very one who abused them, and they swap places. The wonder of what God did at Easter is that God came himself in the person of his son, took our place for our crimes against him. And so our sin is dealt with through Jesus. That's why this event matters. I heard about a prison in South America. I heard about a prison in South America that has this one cell that's always locked, but it's empty. There's no inmate in this cell. And if you ask the other inmates why, why have you got a cell that's empty but locked? They would show you, they'd walk you up, they'd show you through the bars against the wall is a cross. There's a cross there. And they'd tell you it's locked because Jesus is in there. He's doing the time for all of us. I think that's a beautiful illustration. But I'd actually add to it. Jesus is in there. He's doing our time. He's our mediator. But he's also a living mediator. There'll never be a time when Jesus is too old to be our mediator. When he passes away, he's buried in the grave, and the doors of the cell is unlocked, and suddenly we're thrown back in jail to face our crimes. We're booted out of heaven. That day will never come if you trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is alive forever. He punched through death and came out the other side. And he'll bring us through death too. And you get all of these ideas in one of the most amazing promises in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Your faith is futile. It's pointless to trust in Jesus. You're still in your sin if he hasn't been resurrected because there's no mediator there to defend you. Nobody's in that jail cell if he hasn't risen from the dead. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This is the way the Bible talks about Christians who have died. They've fallen asleep and they're lost. They're lost if Jesus hasn't been raised. They've been conquered by death. They didn't defeat death. They've been conquered by it. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that first fruits word, it's the idea of like the first apple that you see on the tree that shows you more apples are going to come. Like the first Easter egg you ate this morning that will definitely be followed by many more Easter eggs. It's that idea, the first fruits idea. For as in Adam all dies, we're talking about all humanity, all of us are in Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. There's lots of ideas there, but the gist is this. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, and so he has dealt with our sins. He's a living mediator. So if you trust in Jesus, you will not be lost. 
You will be raised like him. And this is why Christians have been celebrating Easter for 2,000 years. This is why we're celebrating today. We're celebrating. We're celebrating what Jesus has done. We're celebrating this life-changing, world-shaping event that Jesus truly was resurrected from the dead. And this truly makes a difference to your life. That your sins are dealt with by the living mediator and your death is defeated by the living conqueror. How do you respond to that? Just quickly to finish, two ways. Two ways to respond to this. The first thing is to trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for the first time. Trust Jesus for the millionth time. Ask Jesus to be your mediator, to defeat death for you. And if you're going to trust in Jesus, you also have to stop trusting anything other than Jesus. If you're going to trust Jesus, you've got to stop trusting ourselves. We've got to stop trusting that our good work will get us out of prison and into heaven. We've got to stop trusting that we are good enough, we're innocent, we don't deserve this punishment. We've got to trust Jesus. And we need to trust that this is real, that this really happens. The leaders there, they preferred to come up with their own alternative explanation, an alternative that they knew was false, rather than trust in Jesus. But there's even more alternatives on offer for us today. But only trusting Jesus deals with your sin and defeats your death. And at the very least, at the very least, look at the evidence for yourself and see if what I'm saying is true and see if it does make the difference I'm saying it does. First thing, trust Jesus. Second thing, worship Jesus, which is what the women do. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And worship is kind of the idea of worth-ship, like seeing the worth of something. Uh, to worship something, you would think about it, talk about it, praise it, sacrifice for it. If you were worshipping a celebrity or a sports star or an Instagram influencer, you'd hang off their every word, you'd follow all their advice, you'd spend as much time with them as you could, You'd give them your time, your money, your devotion, your life. It'd be strange to do that for another human being. It'd be kind of sad to do that for another human being. But worshipping Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, Jesus who commands angels bright as lightning and they do His bidding, Jesus who faced death and punched through the other side never to die again, Jesus who lives for all time to mediate for us, Jesus, who is himself God, worshipping Jesus makes so much sense. And you can worship Jesus by following his commands and his advice. You can worship Jesus by learning more about him, by coming to church at Easter and at Christmas. And that's a great thing to do, but becoming even more than that, coming regularly, meeting with other people who can help you learn about Jesus and how good and kind he is how powerful and trustworthy he is. Easter Sunday, Jesus' resurrection, is a world-shaping, life-changing event. It will change your life forever if it's true and if you can see the difference it makes. Can you? I'm going to pray. Our great, incredible, magnificent Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this amazing thing that we get to celebrate today. Thank you that Jesus truly is risen. That he is not there. He is not in the grave. He is risen for all time. Thank you that we have a living mediator. Thank you that death will not be the end for those who trust in Jesus. But we have the same hope of rising again with Christ. We pray for the people in our city who don't know this news. We pray for those of us here who are still wrestling with this, trying to work out if this is true, if it does make the difference to us. We pray, God, that you would show it to us so that we can have this life change that you offer, so that we can trust Jesus and worship Jesus. Amen.